Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Hey, guys. Welcome to Let's a Straight Show. It is Tuesday, May 12, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Hope you're having a great start of the week this last two weeks. It's uh, interesting in Northeast Ohio. Today is our first day where retail is opening. Um, I took a little drive around because I had to get some essentials out there. Malls didn't have many people in them. A lot of the retail stores are not super busy, so people are going to take their time. Even though it's legal to go out, um, it's going to take a while for things to start to change. So we'll see what happens this Friday. This Friday is the next kind of big step where we are allowed to go to outdoor patio seating and restaurants, and you can get hair salons and get your hair done and things like that. Then I think on the 21st of this month, is when you can do indoor seating again with on the smaller um, scale with the smaller occupancy. So it was an interesting day out there today. Hope you guys enjoyed the show last night. If you missed it, it was Musical Monday. We had our good buddy Zach Day do his very first Musical Minute. Uh, Zach is from The Voice. He was on Team John Legend. He is going to be on the show every other Monday giving us some sneak peek into some music to be on the lookout for and what he comes across. He'll be trading off with my buddy Jay Knight, who'll be on next Monday. <clears throat> Jay's really big in the independent movie scene. Uh, so it's going to be kind of a music scene. It's going to be kind of fun to see what they have. Then yesterday I had on songwriter, singer, and YouTuber Pano T stop by. Got to catch up with him. It's been a while since he was on. And our good buddy Matt Van Fossen has a couple more music tracks he laid out. He's a great country artist. So great musical Monday. If you missed it, be sure to go to all your favorite podcast distributors, uh, Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever you find it. Head on over that way. Today, two great interviews for you. I'm so glad to be able to introduce for you. I did each of these. Uh, last week, late last week. Uh, the first one up in just a couple of minutes is going to be Sam Light. Sam is an amazing singer, dancer, actor, and personal trainer. He's played the lead in Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief on Broadway and on The Touring Company. And is just an amazing guy. He's uh, so humble, so down to earth. 
he's a personal trainer, amazing workouts. He'll give you all the information. You can follow him on YouTube and TikTok. The guy is in shape, boys and girls, but he is just a really sweet guy. So we had a good story, good time talking with him. He'll be up first. And then Justin Root from the Justin Root Show on YouTube. Guys, I don't know what it is. Just like Benji Schwimmer, when I when Benji and I talked for hours, Justin and I were talking for hours the other day. I can't believe I – we still have an, an hour, two-minute interview with him. We're planning on 30 or 40 minutes. He's the kind of guy you can talk to forever. He is an excellent interviewer himself on his Justin Root show. He's talked to people like Belinda Carlisle. RuPaul was his third interview ever. Uh, it's just an amazing story, an amazing guy. So two great interviews coming up for you in a little bit, and it's going to take up the entire two hours today. There's a couple little notes I have to go over. Um, I did announce yesterday's big announcement, the Big Gay Road Trip Part 3 is on. I will be taking the show right here from beautiful downtown Northeast Ohio to Palm Springs, California for a month of live shows with all our California friends and celebrities out there. So we're going to go into the Indulge Inn. Thanks so much to owners John Jackson and his partner Sandy and invited us back the other day. We weren't sure how it was going to go. It's really Gavin Newsom in California keeping that lockdown tight. So it's going to be some interesting ways we do it, but it's going to be a fun month that we're going to be there. So I'm trying to plan routes right now. I talked to a couple of great people the last couple of days doing some Pre-tape interviews that kind of got me going in different ways. You might have heard yesterday I talked about a restaurant in Michigan City, Indiana. It's called Fiddleheads, and they are doing drag side pickup on Saturdays where they're having drag queens uh, deliver the food, takeout food, to restaurant owners on Saturdays. And it's being really well recepted in the city by all the residents. And it was really cool. So I'm going to go up that way on the drive out up to Michigan City, Indiana. On the way, I'm going to hopefully stop by called South Bend and see if I can talk to Pete Buttigieg and Chaston again. I had him on last April, you remember. We'll see if I can talk him into interviewing with me again. He's a very busy guy, of course, even though he's not running for president anymore. And then I talked today to a great guy, Chad Campy. He's the owner and proprietor of Flip Phone Events in Minneapolis. He puts on some amazing drag brunches up there. I mean, we're talking these things are filled to the brim with people. They do lots of them at one time. He was the idea behind the Golden Girls Cruises last year, and he has two more booked over the next two years already. So I think I'm going to try to go up there to a drag brunch on my drive. Then on the way back, I think I'm going to go down south, but I'm going to try to go to Nashville to see our good uh, special correspondents, Josh and Jeffrey from J&J Buzz, who are in Nashville, along with Zach Day, who's in Nashville right now. And then I did an interview the other day with David and Terry, who are the owners, proprietors of Park Ridge Lodge in the Gatlinburg Mountains, not too far out of Pigeon Ford, not too far from Dollywood. They have an amazing men's B&B there, men-only B&B. And it's a great resort. you got to check it out online. I'll have their interview up next week. And it's a kind of cool place. I'm going to stop there on the way back, too. So the Big Gay Road Trip is starting to uh, come together, and I'm excited about that. 
last couple things that we got to get started because these interviews are running long today. Um, Noah Galvin and Ben Platt are taking their relationship public after being quarantined together. If you didn't know, uh, Ben, of course, originated the role of Evan and Dear Evan Hansen. Of course, after he just became rocket star famous after that, but he was in the Pitch Perfect movies before that. Noah Galvin had his own show on ABC before that, and he took over that role. And they are now dating in the early stages. They've been quarantined together for the last six weeks. You've heard of quarantine people breaking up. This is quarantine people getting together. So we'll hope that lasts for them, and good on them for making that a go. Not the first two Evans that have gotten together, though. Uh, you might remember, you might not, if you're not a huge Broadway geek as I am, that there was already uh, Taylor Trench and Ben Levi Ross were both Evans and Evan Hansen and are dating since 2017, I think. So that's kind of cool stuff. Other than that, not too much going on. We're going to go ahead. Oh, I did see, though, today, I don't know if you noticed it, that the movie Hamilton that's going to be interspersed with parts of the stage version of Hamilton uh, was supposed to come out in 2021. They've moved it up. It's going to come out July 3rd now. It looks like it's exclusively going to be on Disney+. Plus. But if you didn't have a chance to pay the $8 million tickets in New York to see Hamilton or go to a touring company where there were only, I think, $3 million, um, you can see it on Disney Plus coming July 3rd. So that's pretty exciting stuff. So that's all I have today. I'm going to bring you two great interviews now by two people I have grown to admire and I hope to call friends. Can't wait to have a cocktail with each of them. Coming up first here is Sam Light again, Broadway and touring actor, singer, dancer. Uh, you got to see his YouTube video with his buddies from back in the day where they do a little bit of uh, Book of Mormon. Hilarious. He's going to talk about that, plus his fitness routine and his uh, personal training. And this guy is in shape, guys. Once you check out his YouTube and his TikTok, he will get you there, too. Um, amazing guy. So we're going to have him up first. Then we're going to finish up with a little Justin Root and the Justin Root Show probably one of the better interviewers that I've ever talked to. And just, he has some great stories. So we had a good time talking. So enjoy those. I'll be back at the end to wrap this all up. We're going to play a little music first from our buddy, Eris. Then we'll have a interview with Sam, then another little musical break interview with Justin. I'll be back to wrap it up at the end. You're listening to the left of straight show right here on the left of straight radio network.
guys and gals, we are back. That was our good buddy, Eris, with Only You. Eris has got a lot of new music coming out, so be sure to check his uh, website and download music. Everyone needs to get some new music while we're out and about in Quarantineville. But I'm excited, guys. We have a brand new guest on the show. I'm so happy to have him on. He's an actor, singer, dancer from Broadway, as well as a personal fitness instructor whose body will inspire you to work harder and his million-dollar smile will want you to fill the seats when the theaters start to reopen, hopefully next month. His most current role is in Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief, and I can't wait to talk to him all about that, his cross-country tour, and so much more. Please welcome to the show to handsome and talented, Mr. Sam Light. Sam, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing so well. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I'm so excited to have you on all of my listeners know I'm a huge Broadway fan, and I really need to get in shape, so you're like the perfect guest for me. So it's good. We're all good. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I shed a little tear when you say when you said, uh, hopefully Broadway opens next month, you know? Ugh. Oh, I know. They were shooting for June 7th, but Cuomo's not having it yet, so we're hoping to see what happens, right? Do you have any yeah, clue? Have you heard any inside scoop? I have not, you know, I'm just kind of reading the same news that everyone else is, but I'm, yeah. I'm just a little nervous, you know? Oh, I bet. I mean, it's so tough. And that's one of the things I've done. I brought the show, used to do it two days a week. I brought it to five days a week because there's so many people that aren't working now. And I just want to p- have people remember them. I want them to showcase their talent. I want them to be able, if they're doing Venmos or things like that, to, to reach out and try to make a little money because Nobody's making any money right now. It's just a really hard time. Right. So it's it's yeah, crazy. Definitely. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. No, thank you so much for having me. Now talk about it. How are you holding up? Where you uh, are? Where are you huddling in place at? And how are you holding up through this whole thing? Yeah, I got Corona like two and a half months ago now. Um, at the time, oh it felt God. like I was, you know, <laughs> one of the first people in New York to get it. Um, <laughs> And then I was in the city up until about two weeks ago. And then I got home to Wisconsin. I've been bunkering down with my parents. So um, okay. things are pretty, yeah. I mean, we have stay at home order in Wisconsin too. It's pretty chill. Luckily, the weather is finally above 50 today in Wisconsin. So I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Northeast Ohio, we've been like, it's been a roller coaster. Sunday it was 75 degrees here, and today it's a high of like 52. It's like what the heck? I don't understand. I know. I don't. I mean, Northeast Ohio. I've been there. I, I definitely understand. It's very similar to these Wisconsin conditions. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're you're up there though. But you're right. I mean, you've been here through school, and you know it. It's crazy times. Um, what have you been doing to pass the time and keep yourself busy? Are you able to do, and we'll get into your fitness a lot later, but are you able to do some, like, Zoom workouts or things like that? Or what are you doing to keep yourself from going crazy? Yeah, I think it's been, you know, we've all had to make some shifts, definitely. But I've definitely been surprised at how many of my personal training athletes are still wanting to do personal training over FaceTime. And it's actually been going so, so, so well it's kind of giving us the opportunity when we don't have to be in a gym or we don't have to use weight all the time to kind of go back to the basics uh, with body movement. And that's been really amazing, actually. That is awesome. I've talked on the show a couple of times. I have a good friend that works at Equinox in New York City, and he has been doing 
at-home Instagram lives, Facebook live things. And he's got like 385 people a session tuning in, which is amazing. And he puts a little Venmo up thing, and people are tipping him if they want, which is really nice. And he's, like you said, bringing back basics. It's like get two water jugs, fill them up to certain levels for different weights, and go for it. People are becoming very innovative. It's amazing, and I love it. And we're going to talk about your fitness in just a bit. Let's start with a little backstory, though. You say you're at your parents in Wisconsin. Talk about where did you grow up, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you first want to be when you grew up? I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin. I think my first job I ever wanted was to be a doctor, which is, you know, I really thought that was going to happen for a very long time. Uh, and then, you know, and I, again, I was kind of a late bloomer when it came to theater, too. I did Les Mis my sophomore year of high school, and that was kind of like the bug. And then the rest is kind of history. No more doctor for me. <laughs> nice. I like it. And were you um, were you a busy kid? Were you, like, always getting into things? Were you writing or were you kind of creative early on? Or did just that kind of work your way into it? I think, you know, it took me a really long time uh, to be confident enough in myself to say, like, oh, no, I'm a very creative person because that was always something that I – felt kind of self-conscious about growing up um you know Mm -hmm. like oh if you're not good in art class are you a creative person are you an artist you know and it took me until really like graduating college to feel like oh the world is so your oyster and if you look at it uh like that your creativity you know just goes off the charts you know i love that yeah i wouldn't say that i was like like super creative that growing up I think that I was like always very curious and I always was like hyper dedicated to the thing I was most interested in at the time <laughs> and sometimes I hopped around from interest to interest I'd say that that pretty much describes my childhood <laughs> <laughs> I understand I understand and one of the things I love is when you tell your story you do it as just who you are. You're a gay man. You like sports. You like theater. You like this. Talk about your coming out story. When did you first come out to yourself and who was maybe the first person you told? Huh? I came, I came out to my family after senior year of high school, which seemed like a good time. You know, my school was not <laughs> at all like anti-gay, but there was definitely like a row of cars in the parking lot called Redneck Row that, um, you know, they like drove gotcha. their tractors to school and it wouldn't have been like the best <laughs> thing. Right. Um, I probably knew, I mean, I can think of myself as being attracted to men since like fourth grade. And I don't really remember there being many conversations about it. I think I really, I, like a lot of gay men had a sense of like, this was just like part of me that I wasn't, going to necessarily act upon and I would be perfectly happy dating women and maybe probably marrying a woman and then I came out after senior year of high school because I had met a great guy and then immediately went to music theater school where everyone there <laughs> was way more okay with me being gay than I was at the time <laughs> nice where did you meet this very first guy at this is actually a really funny story. Uh, it's a little weird. My friends, my theater friends and I, our, like, sophomore or junior year of high school, made this 
Book of Mormon party bus video. We were all singing oh, the national anthem at a brewer's we're game. We're going to talk about uh-huh. that. <laughs> so, and the video ended up going pretty viral. It was like it made us feel very famous. And then <laughs> that happened to um, attract the interest of my first boyfriend. He just reached out, and the rest is history. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that video because it is freaking amazing and (laughs) very cool. All right, well, let's jump into the acting background a bit. Start with a smaller one. You're just a small piece of Last Fairy, but it's on Netflix right now, and I love the movie. Talk about how that was to be on set for a little bit and what the vibe was on that show. Yeah, that was like my first audition that I was like, I'm going to get this. (laughs) Nice. I I actually auditioned for, well, I auditioned for uh, the lead guy, you know, the the lawyer. And it was just something about, like, it was a time of my life where I was going through a lot of transition and I was feeling so confident and I was feeling so relaxed. And the audition process was just amazing. And I think uh, I I remember thinking, like, yeah, I'm just not going to let myself get in the way it went really well and the auditions were great and they kept on coming and coming. And then I didn't end up getting it, which is totally fine. It happens all the time, <laughs> but it was Welcome my first, like, right? <laughs> uh, right. Exactly. But it was my first like lead role in a film that I was going up for. And then uh, the director ended up just being like, do you want to come in and do this bit part? And I was like, sure. So we went to fire Island during off season and it was my first time going. Yes, it was my first time going. And it was, like, absolutely dead and freezing. <laughs> but it was very interesting. The fairy's beautiful. So <laughs> I have still never been, so I'm still jealous that you even got to go, even though it was off-season. So oh, I have not been yet. You got to go. You got to go. It's beautiful. I know. I know. I keep hearing. I'm just <laughs> one of these days. Got to go with the right group. <laughs> There you go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Cool. And and the good thing about that, and I'm sure you and all your friends know that, is even if you don't get a part, it's people who see you while you're there, you may not even notice later on when you get a director that says, oh, he's going to be for this role down the line. And so it sounds like it was exactly. a good learning experience too, right? Yeah. I mean, that has been, you know, when you first leave school, it's definitely the hardest lesson to learn that, you know, if you are doing good work, there's no like bad, there's no like negative from not getting a part, right? You're, it's, it's working toward right. your career as a whole. So definitely something that's been hard to learn, but something that's uh, definitely be, becoming truer and truer for me. Now let's talk about some of my faves. You've been in Chorus Line, you said Les Mis, the lead in Hairspray, which is like one of all, my all-time favorites. My little nephew was, was Link in Hairspray as well. Talk about some of your earlier work, any favorites, and what kind of experience were those? Well, I think that I'll be playing Link Larkin for the rest of my life, truly. <laughs> I don't think it's ever really? going to go away. Nice. I mean, not not really, but it seems like I that's just mean. something that keeps on coming up, and it's fun and uh, a very very chill, so that's always fun. I've always loved Les Mis, um, so I'd love to do Les Mis again. Chorus Line was really something else <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. why was it something else i gotta hear this story there's a story there 
I can hear it in your voice. I, well, it's not so much a story. It was like it was a big undertaking, and it was a huge challenge for basically everyone. We did it at school. It ended up being really great, but it was tough from a school uh, of okay. not necessarily being known as, you know, like the, the best dancers, you know, dancer first for, to do gotcha. a chorus line. So. <laughs> It's a great challenge, about that. and it ended up being great. And let's talk about Lightning Thief. I mean, Percy Jackson is a fun movie. Uh, you have an early connection to it. I've read somewhere that you, like, in seventh grade, had some kind of connection to this. Talk about the genesis of this for you. Yeah, I think that I started reading Lightning Thief because one of my teachers was trying to get it in the curriculum, and she was like, well – can you read this and see if it'd be something that you'd want to read, which I really loved because I I sometimes look at curriculums and I'm like, okay, well, if you're not teaching kids to like reading early on, they're never going to like reading and they're never going to read. So I love that, that like she, well, she was very much a proponent of why give these kids these very good books, you know, like books that are going to teach kids going to read them. You know, you, you need to teach them to want to read, and then we can get into some of the the heftier books. So I started reading Lightning Thief pretty early on, and then read all of them, read all of the second series of it. <laughs> and then kind of, you know, it was on the back burner for a bit until I got to New York and was living with Chris McCarroll at the time. Because oh, we okay. both went to Baldwin Wallace. And I was working as a PA on the Broadway revival of Miss Saigon, and he was doing The Lightning Thief. And so I was like, okay, great. I love The Lightning Thief. I'm going to come see it at the Lortel. This is going to be great. I saw it. I loved it. And then that was that. And then, you know, fast forward to like two years later, and (laughs) and I was texting Chris, and I said, so you're definitely doing the tour, right? And he said, yeah. Do you want tickets? (laughs) And I said, no, I think I'm going to be your understudy. <laughs> so oh my goodness. that all happened. That's so cool. That's yeah, it was, it was a very full circle moment for me. I bet. Oh, my gosh, that's so cool. Well, for anyone who's been under a rock and hasn't seen the television show or read the book or seen the play, yet, give a little overview of what it is and uh, tell them a little bit about the musical. Oh, yeah. We had to practice this so much for press, so we'll see if I remember it. (laughs) So we have Percy, who's a 12-year-old, you know, because Chris and I both look like we're 12. He has just lost his mom in the show and is kind of feeling like the world is against him. And he also finds out that he's a demigod, which is a half-god, half-mortal. So that's like like Hercules is a demigod. Um, So his father is Poseidon. And he has to go on a quest to figure out who stole Zeus's thunderbolt. Uh, or Zeus, no, Zeus's lightning. That's it. <laughs> um, and in the process, get his mother back. So, you know, the, fir- the first act of the show is us finding, a- finding out what being a demigod is all about. Um, and then the second act is all about his quest to basically save the world. You know, so it's a blast. <laughs> nice. I had never got to see the stage version of it. I would love to. I am a huge geek when it comes to Greek and Roman mythology. Those are like the two places I want to go is Greece and Rome. So that's very, Me very too. cool. 
Oh, have you been to either? No, I will tell you something. I was supposed to go to Rome in two weeks. Oh, no. So it's my mom's 60th birthday. So we were going to be in Tuscany for a week. And then my boyfriend and I were going to go to Rome for four days and Positano for three days. All canceled. Such a bummer. (laughs) Oh, no. Same thing. You probably know Michael Mott. I don't know if you do or not. But uh, yeah, yeah. composer and good friends with Jeremy Jordan and everything. Uh, he was supposed to take his mom to Italy like the second week of April. So Italy's getting just dumped on. It's so sad. But, oh, that would have been such yeah. a great trip. Luckily, our hotel, uh, they're only giving us a voucher, and I say that luckily because it means that we have to go. So. Right. Oh, we'll be like going at part. some point. Mom deserves a big trip, and you got to tell me all about the mythology because I'm loving it. Very, very cool. Oh, I will. What yeah. was it like? To under, I mean, that's a lead role. Your Link Larkin has a lot of lines. I'm sure this has a lot of lines. Talk about the touring company. Um, what was it like to be on the road on that? And how do you keep fresh on those lines when you never know if you're going to go on or not? God, it is truly something I still dream about. You know, the uh, get your t- get a text as you're on the subway to the theater that night. Um, <laughs> and Honestly, it was just the, those first three months of tour, the two other understudies and I would be backstage running it night after night after night, you know? <laughs> so luckily, after those first three months of doing it, then we would watch the show like once or twice a week and just keep it really fresh for us. But it was it's tough for sure. And Percy doesn't leave the stage. He only leaves the stage one time, and it's for 15 seconds. So the rest of the two hour and 15 minute musical, he's on stage, <laughs> which is just insane. Yeah. I don't understand how understudies do it because like I have such a one track mind and a lot of understudies are playing other parts too. So you're doing another part and you have to remember all that. It's like, I, my hat's off to you, my friend, that's gotta be difficult stuff. Yeah. I will say um, I understudied Luke as well, who, you know, all all the characters play many roles except for Percy so I understudied Luke and then Aries, which meant that all of the fighting in the show, and there's a lot of fight choreography, all of my fighting was with myself, which was very confusing <laughs> because Percy and Luke oh were fighting goodness. and then Percy and Aries were fighting. So that was honestly the thing that made me most nervous because the last thing you want to do is go on stage castmate, right? Because you, sure. you screwed up the choreography. So. Well, we got to jump into that because this is a fun thing I like to do. You're one of the few actors that makes my life a little fun because you have your resume posted on your site. And I always like to look at resume special skills. And I really wish uh-huh. this wasn't radio because I want to see your stage combat. That's one of your skills. We just talked about that. But I want you to give me a line from Lightning Thief English dialect that you say you do. Oh, God. Ha, ha, ha. You know, I have been watching a lot of Downton Abbey <laughs> during oh, quarantine, so this should be easy. I just have to think of a line. I'm like, I feel like I've blocked it all out. If you're weird, you're weak. <laughs> oh, classic little British Harry, or a little British Percy. <laughs> there you go. I love it. We're going to edit that and make that sound yummy. I like that. Thank you. Oh, I love having great. fun with <laughs> Have you seen Killing Eve? No, it looks really good, though, and I, I'm a huge Sandra Oh fan, so tell me about it. Sandra Oh is amazing, but Jodie Comer, her co-star, is 
truly one of the best actors I've ever seen. She's, you know, it never happens that someone is so gorgeous, so quirky, and so talented in the same person. Like, that never happens, and that's Jodie Comer. But she's Russian, and so she's, I'm always imitating her accent. So that's my, my true accent of choice. I need to update, update that on my resume. <laughs> nice. Give me a little Russian accent, just for the heck of it. May not even use it. Um, well, well, Sandra O's name is Eve Pilastri, and so just like classic Villanelle, uh, classic Jodie Comer. She'll say this all the time. She'll say like Eve Pilastri, you know, like just really getting into the nitty gritty of the Russian. I love it. <laughs> nice, very cool. Uh, that's on my watch list. Um, there's so much on my watch list right now, but I will have to check that out. Very cool. Let's talk yeah, about future dream roles. I did read where Book of Mormon is one of them, and that's where the YouTube video comes in. I watched this video, mm-hmm. freaking hilarious, 340,000 views. Talk about the video again and dream roles. So, yeah, I would say Book of Mormon is definitely a dream role. And then, you know, speaking of our Greek mythology, uh, have you heard of a book called Song of Achilles? I have. Yeah. So that I, I'm currently reading, I think Madeline Miller's, the author's name, uh, her other book, Circe, which is phenomenal. But Song of Achilles is this amazing gay book about the untold love story between Achilles and Patrocles. That is a dream role for me. I want either I want to do it in a movie or I want to do it on stage, uh, but I want to play Achilles and just, you know, really use my fight combat that we've been talking about. Oh, from your lips, man, that would be an awesome. I hope someone options that. That would be amazing. Yeah. But I strongly suggest if anyone who's listening has not read it, they definitely need to. It's so good. All right. And let's wrap up our film part and our acting background. What's the best piece of acting advice you ever got? And maybe what was the worst? I don't, I I can't think of who said this to me because I feel like I got it probably a hundred times before it sank in. The idea of the only person that people will really be interested in watching is yourself has really been something that kind of just changed the way that I look at acting. You know, I think there are totally people who can take on completely different personas. Um, you know, you look at like Meryl Streep, you know, but, uh, I think that for a lot of actors, the first thing you need to master is just being yourself because that is super interesting because no one else is going to be exactly like you. We can smell from a mile away, someone putting on something else. We want to see you be like organic. We want you to see, we want to see you be just totally your quirky, authentic self. And that is super, super hard to lean into. It's super hard to trust uh, because there's always that question of like, well, if I'm just being myself, will that be enough? And for some jobs, it won't be, you know, but for the right job, it will be. And that has been very liberating for me, you know. That's great advice. I like that. And anything that kind of was a downer Mm. at the time that you thought, well, that's just stupid now. I can't believe they thought that. There's that that piece of advice that you get in acting school that's like, if you can do anything else, do it, you know? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely can't do anything else. I should should be an actor, which is just so stupid. I think if you want to do acting, do it. 
I also think that you should have other skills because definitely for me, if I look at my first two years in New York, the thing holding me back was the idea that the only thing I could do with my life was acting. And then I Mm. shifted my mindset to what do I enjoy? What can I do that makes it so that I don't need to have a quote unquote survival job, you know, so that I can walk into an audition rule, an audition room and say, Hey, I would love this job, but I don't need it because I love my other job that I'm doing right now too. Because that allowed me to just completely be myself and be totally free and not be anxious in the audition room, you know? Very, very cool. I love that. Let's jump into fitness. I want to talk fitness. I mean, obviously you have an amazing body, but my favorite thing is that you acknowledge the aesthetics is really far down on your list of what you're trying to teach about in your education of your clients. Talk about how you first yeah. got into fitness, and let's go from there. So I think in Wisconsin it was like a very normal thing, and my best friends growing up were enrolled in every sport. And I did gymnastics growing up, and then I did soccer and track. Um, I always liked sports. I always felt a little, like, on the outside. But I always liked it. I was always pretty good at it. And I did also find out in high school this like weird uh I don't know this weird thing that happened where when I proved that I was really good at the sport it gave me like this new respect from some of my classmates who may have bullied me for you know thinking that I was gay or whatever which was fascinating it's something that absolutely I saw in high school and I see it still today so kind of going back to that story in high school I was doing track and field and I went to state for the, for hurdles as a freshman. And it was this weird thing of the other upperclassmen on the team kind of bullying me ish, or kind of just like keeping their distance and being just like meh. And then me doing well and then getting this like new respect from them. Like, Oh no, now like you deserve to be here when like I didn't before I was always like 115 pounds. I was always super skinny. I was like decently flamboyant kind of made sense that they would get like the gay vibe for me and then when I graduated from high school I was like okay well I need to look like a leading man I need to like gain weight (laughs) and I need to like look how I'm supposed to look so I started doing CrossFit and it did not work (laughs) I just like (laughs) basically stayed the exact same weight that I was I was still very skinny not lifting heavyweight at all. and But I loved it just from, like, the challenge of it. There were parts of it that I was really good at because I did gymnastics as a kid. Um, there were parts of it that I was really bad at that I could keep on working at. So I continued doing that through college, just kind of doing my dance classes by day and then CrossFit at night or before dance in the morning. And I, I can honestly say that, you know, Aesthetics were definitely the reason why I started working out, but I didn't see any results. It wasn't like that wasn't my motivator or my impetus to keep on working out. It was because I started to feel better. I started to perform better. And that really only kept on happening when I moved to the city. And then it ended up the being that my body looked, started to look how I wanted it to look. And I, you know, but it was never the thing that I was like focusing on and it's still never the thing that I'm focusing on. 
So that's what I try and talk to my clients about as well. Nice. I like that. I like that a lot. And I mean, you're telling the story. I want everyone, when we give you a website later, you do an amazing journal talking about a lot of these things. And you talk about um, being gay in sports, talking about different things, and you really let it, um, are very honest about it. And it's, it's some great stories. I love that you journal in general. It sounds like you kind of do that every day just to keep yourself kind of mentally going. But that's very, yeah, very definitely. cool. Talk about what you think is key to picking a good trainer. What should people be doing? So I think that the red flag to me always is when people are saying, I can make you look like Zac Efron. You know, I can make you that has always been a huge turnoff to me because I just, like I said, it's the complete opposite mindset that we should be having um, to truly make a difference in our health, right? If we focus on how to feel better, whether that's by eating better or by figuring out how to get better quality sleep, um, and when we focus on doing better, so, you know, we run a faster mile time or we can have a heavier back squat, or we can just walk upstairs without getting winded, then we look better. When we focus on looking better, we don't feel better or do better. So I've never really understood that, and that's definitely a red flag when I am looking at other personal trainers. But the other thing that I would say is that I don't necessarily think that most people need a personal trainer. I'm a huge, huge fan of group classes. Just because, and this is a weird thing to even think about right now with everything going on with Corona, but I love the community aspect of it. I love the accountability of it. I love that there's enough one-on-one instruction from a coach that your form is still going to be okay, that you are still going to be safe. Um, and I love that it's not super expensive. I, I wish that more people would try group fitness classes but I totally understand that group fitness classes are also super intimidating. Tell me, what do you think is one of the biggest lies about working out and what's one of the best truths? Um, biggest lies about working out. Oh, I think probably one of the biggest lies about working out is that you need to do cardio to lose weight, right? There are a couple of things that we can do to lose weight or burn more calories. Um, and you be, you doing 60 minutes on the treadmill every day, that is absolutely not going to be the best way to burn calories because we look way back to when, you know, we were cavemen and our bodies were trying to burn the least amount of calories when we were gathering our food, right? So if we are doing that, that activity, running or, you know, like finding food, day after day after day in the same exact way, we're going to stop burning calories altogether. Ultimately, the best thing you can do to burn calories to lose weight is to vary your workouts. It's also super difficult to find new workouts every day and make sure that, especially when we don't have a gym, when we don't all have weights, to find different ways to do workouts. And that's where I think the personal training community has gotten really creative during this time. And it's been a cool way to kind of like flex our creative muscles. And I want to talk about, we're talking about your excellent journaling. I love one of the things you said that I'm going to try. Talk about this 800 gram fruit and veggie challenge because I'm a huge fruit and Mm. vegetable person. Yeah. So 
uh, I've never been one for restrictive diets. And so that would be, you know, saying, oh, I can't have carbs or I can't have meat or I can't, you know, I have never been one to really be able to be uh, disciplined enough for that. But what I have been able to be disciplined with is an additive diet where I am measuring my fruits and vegetables every day for a positive outcome saying like, oh, I can have more of these. And the goal is for us to back up for a second uh, to eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables every single day. This has been kind of an amazing thing for me, for my family, for my clients, just from the idea of when I eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables every day, I'm not that hungry for other bad shit. So a positive thing because I like that food, I food, but also it makes it so that I'm just not hungry for bad food. Nice. I like that. Like I said, fruits and vegetables are, are, I, I can eat those all day long. And you do, like you said, you can have as much as you want and you measure it before they're cooked or put in something, right? So yes, you can measure it. But definitely before you put it in something. You say your family's on it too. I love that part in your post where you have little your your recommendations from sister and mom, and you're pretty funny too, dude. I like that. Very very cool. <laughs> yeah, a little humor. Try to keep it real, you know. <laughs> there you go. And my question to you, I need to know what you think about this. I've been doing it for two days now, and it is working. But you got to tell me if it's uh, something I should keep on or not because you said you don't like restrictive or fat. I'm trying that intermittent fasting, intermittent fasting. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And tell me what you think about it. So there's a, there are a couple of schools of thought on this. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I don't want it to be something that like is super difficult for you to do. Uh, my mom and I have been intermittent fasting during this time because it's just been easy. Like I, I'm not like necessarily like thinking about it at all. And if it's really hard for you, if like, Every single day, you're, like, looking at the clock and, like, oh, I have two more hours before I can eat and I'm so hungry. I don't think it's a good thing for you, you know. I I don't want you to have things in your life that are super, super stressful uh, because that leads to us binging, right, and that leads to things not being sustainable. Come to intermittent fasting, there are a couple of ways some nutritionists will say that, you know, it allows for you to – being like a fat burning process for longer and other nutritionists, you know, the, the woman who uh, created the 800 gram challenge just says like, yeah, you limiting the amount of time in your day that you can eat food is going to make you lose weight because you're going to eat less calories. It's as simple as that. It's not like about <laughs> what's happening from like a metabolic standpoint in our body, but like, right. let's just look at this logically. If you have a window of 12 hours to eat in your day, uh, and then you reduce that to seven hours, you're going to eat less calories. And that's great, you know? Very cool. Well, I appreciate that. Like I said, I've tried it for two days now, and I think I'm looking to try that with the fruit and veggie, uh, 800 grams, because like you said, that fills you up so much. And I remember when I used to diet, I did do the Atkins for a while, and that I just wasn't hungry. I had to force myself to eat sometimes. And I think yep. this yep. can kind of work together with that. So very, very cool. We're starting to wrap it up now. Um, we're running out of time, Sam. Let everyone know anything else you can think of that we need to talk about today. I've been trying to stay busy with this. Uh, you're talking about your friend who's an Equinox coach. I've been trying to stay busy. On, in April, I did an April work from home challenge, and that was great. 
but now I'm releasing uh, a workout video every week that you can do with me. So um, definitely be on the lookout for that after you watch my Book of Mormon video. And <laughs> uh, it targets, you know, different parts of the body. My first one that came out this past Friday was an ab workout. Uh, I'll be releasing a full body workout tomorrow. But definitely keep a lookout and let me know if there's anything specifically that you want to see or if you have any questions. Because the biggest thing that I try and promote in my videos is that I am a huge stickler when it comes to form. And we have this opportunity right now where we don't have weights for us to perfect form. So if something isn't making sense in the video, I definitely want to hear about it and I want to, I want to help. So that's really what I've been working on right now. Uh, and we'll see when New York kind of gets back in order. Well, definitely. Hopefully that'll be soon. Hopefully you'll be back on stage. And no matter what, I'm driving down and we're having a cocktail sometime in front. I know you don't drink that much, but we'll have to have a cocktail. We got it. No, no, no. I'll have, yeah, I'll have a cocktail with you. Let's do it. <laughs> there we go. I, I mean, love coffee it. works well, too. Ahead. I'm a little bit of an addict. Oh, I am more than an addict than you know. If you see my, if you ever follow my Instagram, I have a coffee post every single morning because I am a coffee. Addict. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So uh-huh. I need to get coffee to sponsor the show. I talk about it so much. It's it's a problem, Sam. It's seriously a problem. Truly, but that's okay. <laughs> hey, I want you to tell everyone where they can find you. I want you to give your website so they can see the acting. I want to give your YouTube. Your TikTok is amazing, amazing workouts on there. I do have to say my favorite thing about your TikTok is you have an amazing workout that is your highest video, like 700-something thousand views, but your second highest with 600,000 is you checking out a butt. So I love that so much that it's not even funny. <laughs> I like keeping it real. you got to keep it fresh, like I said. <laughs> there you go. So, I will so, say that – there's a little bit of a story behind that one too, because uh, my boyfriend and I were gotten Corona, you know, like two months prior uh, and we were flying home. So we were at the airport, which was empty and that's him that it's not just like some random guy. It's, it's my boyfriend. I thought it was, I was going to say that off air, but I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not like checking out some random, you know, so <laughs> No, you can but tell it was funny. You, you can, can tell by his look. That's why I thought it was your boyfriend. Just his look at you. It's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let everybody know where they can find you, Sam. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at lightning. Uh, it's L-E-I-C-H-T-N-I-N-G. And then you can find my acting website is samlights.com. My fitness website is lightninghealth.com, and you can find my TikTok is at Lightning. My YouTube page is at Lightning. So all it, trying to stay on brand with the Lightning, you know? <laughs> you were Lightning before Lightning was even cool, though, before you even got the part. That's what I like best about it. You were just – How wild, you. right? Yeah. I know. It, it's been a bit, of a, a bit of a trial to get people to be like, wait, it's not Leechning? You know, <laughs> I'm teaching. <laughs> Sam Light, it's been amazing to have you on the Left of Trade Show today. Thanks so much for calling in, buddy. Thank you so much. All right, well, stay on the line for me, guys. We have a special five question with Sam, so be on the lookout for that little bonus content out there. We're going to go ahead and play out to a little song, and I'll be back in just a little bit on the other side. You're listening to the Left of Trade Show 
right here on the Leftist Right Radio Network. Dee Wallace. 
was actually not even born too far up the road from where I'm at now, and I'm excited to get a chance to talk to him. Please welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Justin Root. Justin, how are you, man? Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to have you. I have been following you for a long time now, at least. I think I found you two years ago when you did your Belinda Carlisle interview, which was amazing. Then I started going back and seeing this guy's, like, third interview is RuPaul. It's like, who the hell is this guy? Can I be him, please? (laughs) And uh, I've been a fan ever since, my friend. Thank you. That's so nice. Yeah, that's kind of how I get found, pretty much. It's, you know, someone will find me from one of the big names I've had on, and then they think, who is this guy? And do a little research and think, how do you get, what? So it's kind of the story of my my career right now. (laughs) Well, I am enjoying getting to know you. I love doing research on people. We have so much to talk about. Hopefully, I'm going to get this done in a half hour or so, because so many, and oh, i got to tell you something really, really weird. I didn't tell you off air, but I'm doing my research on you last night. And who pops up on my message screen and says, hi, but Charlie Vaughn, and you were in one of his movies. And it's like, that is so weird. Do you know uh, any stories I could tell about Justin Root? He says, damn, I don't have any. But I almost had a story on you. I was trying. I don't think anyone will have a story on me. I mean, you're going to have to dig deep and deep and deep. I am like in nobody status right now. So good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still enjoy trying, darn it. Give me a little well, thank background you. I was then. Say, your re- your research probably took a minute, if that. Oh, uh, no. I was on for a good – well, I went down the rabbit hole of your videos to start with because I'd seen probably seven or eight um, that I really liked, and then I started going to everybody else. And so I think my – I usually do half an hour to an hour research on everybody, and that turned into about three and a half hours on you last night because I just oh, love wow. your interviewing. So it was well, kind of fun. You. And uh, I spent 20 minutes alone on Password, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So it, it was oh, a crazy wow. time. Okay, okay. Own, so. <laughs> oh, man, it, it, it's so much fun. But let's start from the beginning. I want you to share okay. with my listeners a little bit about telling where you grew up. It was kind of close to me. What kind of a kid were you, and what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, Canton, Ohio. Canton, Ohio is where it all started. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's it can't be more of a cliche story. Midwest boy, something, something felt bigger outside of Ohio. Something felt bigger. It wasn't until I was about 12 or 13 that all of this love of Hollywood, you know, all the movies I had been watching as a kid, old and new, right. like I really gravitated towards the, the forties and the fifties and the sixties, you know, um, mm. And I wanted to be part of it, but I didn't really know how or what. I just knew that was the world that I needed to be part of. And sure. it was when Lucille Ball died. Lucille Ball died, and I hadn't really heard of her. I think I was 12 or 13, and I came home from school, and my mom was crying. And I was like, what's wrong? And she said, didn't they tell you what happened at school? Or did they tell you Lucille Ball died? And I remember saying – who's that? And I remember my mom just being kind of like, wait, what? what? I love Lucy. I was like, oh yeah, I think I, yeah, I think I remember watching her with you. Well, my mom turned on the news and it was 24 hours of coverage, just 24 hours of coverage and footage of just people crying and fans on the street, just, you know, and I remember thinking right then and there, wow, 
I want to touch people. I don't know how, but I want this kind of reaction. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to move to L.A. And that was just such a pipe dream. (laughs) And it wasn't until I read Carol Burnett's biography. She wrote a book for her three daughters. And I was a senior in high school, and my uh, English teacher said, we have to do a story on – we have to write a report on a historical figure. And, I mean, all these kids are picking George Washington and they're, you know, like Paul Revere and like talking real <laughs> history, right? And I go up to her and I'm like, I'm going to do mine on Carol Burnett. And she said, no, 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 we're, we're talking history. And I said, she is history. <laughs> and I fought. I remember fighting with my teacher back and forth about it. And she finally relented and said, fine, go do it. So I did this story on Carol Burnett and it was her book made me realize, okay, this doesn't have to be a dream. I can actually move to LA and I can try this. And I packed up when I was 18 years old. My parents were very supportive, very supportive and drove cross country. And I've been here ever since. That is amazing that you just took that upon yourself and how great for your parents to let you do that. What was it like? Um, A lot of people, I bring people from Ohio back to California because I'm one of the weird guys that I've said many times on the show was born and raised in California for 29 years have been banished back to Northeast Ohio for 20. So people I bring there, they either love it or they hate it. What was your first impressions? Was it everything you wanted it to be? Love, love. And I have to tell you, Scott, I have been out here for almost 25 years and I have not lost my love of LA or Hollywood. I have not become cynical. I have not become jaded to it. There is something about this town that I still, I came to the realization early on, and I think it's because of this obsession I had with like old Hollywood when I was young, but you learn really fast that people come and go in this town. They come and go, and they are the ones who bring out the negativity. Like, you know, a lot of people complain about traffic or L.A. is so superficial or, you know, the people there, blah, 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 blah. And the truth is they come and go. But the actual foundation of this town, I'm talking like the, the mountains, the homes, the beach, the, the Sunset Strip, it's not going anywhere. You've been hearing about it since the 20s when Hollywood started, you know. You've been hearing right. about it. It's not going to go anywhere. It's just not going to go anywhere. This town has survived decade after decade after decade. And when you start to look at it that way, you can brush off all the other BS that comes with it, you know, the – the maybe well the crappy yeah. ma- manager, maybe the crappy manager who tried to screw you over, or you know the 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 job you got fired from. Like it, 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 all that doesn't matter in the in the grand scheme of things. You know this 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 town is too big for it and it's too strong for it. And when you realize that, you really get a thick skin and you can just start to see like the beauty of this town. You know, that is awesome. I love that. That's so very well said. Very cool. Now, we're going to talk about Password in a second, where you did get to meet an idol, at least you said so on television, so we'll check that story out. But did you ever get to meet Carol Burnett while you've been in town? Um, so, Carol, I have gotten to meet her. I met her at – I met her twice. I met her after she did a um, – she did a play at the Coronet Theater on La Cienega, and I want to say, gosh, maybe 98, 99, 2000, I waited at the door – um, paparazzi and the autograph seekers and I waited with them and she came out and 
I took a photo with her, and this is back in the days when you had to, you know, drop off your film and (laughs) wait a week and pick it up. (laughs) And I got the pictures back and was devastated because whoever I asked to take the photo of us put their finger over the, like, lens, and it didn't come out. And I just remember being so devastated. Um, It was just one of those really quick meetings you know just like a quick fan meeting not something that I it's not even really that memorable and there's not even really a story to it but I will tell you that I have a three-page letter for her that I wrote a month ago and I am getting it to her via someone in her family who has offered to help Um, she's my dream guest she's my number one and Looking forward, to, I'm just going to say it on air, I'm just going to put the energy out there that I'm looking forward to having her on my show. Let's just say that. I, I, I can't it's say happen. it's happening 100%, but I'm putting it out there that it's going to. So, um, I yeah, think she's my, it's gonna she's happen. my number one. I believe in you. That's awesome. Thank you. That would Thank be an amazing you. guess. That would be an amazing yeah, What would, would your very first question be to Miss Carol Burnett? I want to know how someone who has lived as long as she has sees themselves. You know, I want to know how she sees herself. If, you know, when I hear Carol Burnett, I picture, you know, the variety show star, what, you know, what, what era does she take herself to? Like, is she, is she, you know, does she go back there? Is she, is she young? I, I don't know. It's, it, well, you know, I can't explain the question because I, I, ha, I don't know. You don't want to explain the question. You want to hear her answer. I like that. I think the question itself is fine. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. I was trying to answer it for her. I was like, wait, I can't do that. Only she can. <laughs> I think that's going to happen. Um, it, it's really funny. There's so many coincidences when I was looking stuff up, you, you, we, we're kindred spirits in some ways, and you remind me a lot of a lot of friends of mine out there. Terry Ray, who's a very good friend of the show, um, got his first shot on Scrabble. Um, he won $25,000 on Scrabble, speaking of $25,000. And he is actually very good friends with Aaron Hamilton, who is Carol Burnett's daughter. So it's just a weird yeah. thing that's going in my head right now. But let's talk about your foray into the game show business. Talk about Password. Password and $25,000 Pyramid and Press Your Luck, those shows I grew up on and watched them nonstop. And I told my third grade class, I wasn't really bullied. I think that's kind of a strong word to throw around, but I was, you know, I was teased. I was made fun of. I was, you know, I had a very high voice, very fair skinned. A lot of people thought I was a girl when I was really young and so my third grade class wasn't um, my favorite group of kids, and I just blurted out a lie one day, and I, I said to them, oh, my grandma's friends with Betty White. One day um, I'm going to go out to California, and I'm going to play Password with her. You know, no big deal. And they were like, mm-hmm, sure. And I just always remember this one girl particularly, she would always, like, the lie stuck with her. And she would say, you know, like, has your grandma talked to Rose Nyland lately? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I think I, I can't keep track. You know, I was just <laughs> just a stupid kid <laughs> in third grade. And years later, years later, there was at a mall, a little goldfish bowl. And it said, if you want to be on $25,000 uh, 
Pyramid, we're casting. Drop your name on the back of this business card. We'll call you. I was like, yeah, right. I'll fill it out anyway. I filled it out, and they called me and said, we got your name. Um, do you want to come in and audition? And I did, and I told them that story. I told the producers that story that one day I was, you know, I told my third grade class that my grandma was friends with Betty White. And these guys, like, you know, they're like executive. They just looked at each other like, what is this kid talking about? And I remember one of them said, <laughs> Betty White, what a blast from the past. Why her? And I said, well, she used to always play, um, uh, pass, uh, or I said, she used to always play Password. And they, they, it was almost as if they didn't, I don't want to say they didn't know. They obviously knew, but like, they thought, who is this weird kid? Like it, it wasn't on the docket. <laughs> I'm telling you, like they were not planning to have her. This was like, you know, the, this was before her huge um, hosting of SNL. This was like right before her, like comeback, if you will. She wasn't on hot in right. Cleveland or anything. She was only on Boston legal anyway. So I remember, uh, I got booked on Pyramid. Pyramid and uh, Password were the same people, like okay. the same kind of like group. So all these like all these game shows, they kind of like you know people run in the same circles. So, um, yeah. I got booked on Password, and they shoot these shows. They shoot maybe you know like four or five shows in one day. So on mm-hmm. the wall was the list of celebrities who were playing that day with the names of the contestants. So. It said, you know, Chelsea Handler with so-and-so-and-so-and-so. William Shatner, so-and-so-so-and-so. Justin Root, question mark. And then the oh list my continued. And I, thought, I thought, why does my name have a question mark? That's so weird. That's so weird. Anyway, so episode one goes. Episode two goes. I'm episode three. It's time to go. And we walk out on stage, and I see Adam Carolla, who was the second guest, and I just, the producers just kept saying, hide the guest, hide the guest. Don't let Justin see, don't let Justin see. So kind of right then it hit me. I was like, wait a minute, six months ago in my audition, I talked about Betty White. Oh my God. Oh my God. No, there's no way. Oh my God. No, there's no oh, way. Oh no. And just then, you know, I go out on stage and uh, Regis Philbin says, all right, this young man told his, and I thought, oh my God, it is, it's her, it's her, it's her. And sure enough, it was, and they surprised me with her. And it just, I mean, you know how they say time stops and turns into slow motion sometimes? That was one of those moments for me. And I am telling you, Scott, I, to this day, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but I still remember every single detail. It's one of those memories that is just as clear today as it was back then. I love that. That's why I know Carol Burnett's going to be on any day now because you know how to manifest, my friend. That is so cool. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And hey, you know, Carol and Betty are obviously connected. But um, yeah, Betty was great. Can I tell you what she said to me during the commercial break? Please. All right. I've told this a couple times, but it's a true story. So, Betty, and and it'll probably be the only time I swear, okay? You go. But she said to me, so. We played our first round together, and you go to the winner's circle with the celebrity who ever gets you the most points. And I hadn't really been paying attention. I was like, I know I got a bunch with Adam Carolla, and I know I got a bunch with Betty, but please let it be Betty. Please let it be Betty. You know, I just <laughs> want to go to the winner's circle with her. And it was. It was Betty. So I was like, oh, thank God. So we went through two commercial breaks together. And 
you know, they shoot these things really quick. So you only have about a minute commercial break. It's like real time. And we were about to go to the winner's circle and we had already played and we had already had like a good rapport. And now cameras aren't rolling. And she comes over to me and she takes both of my hands and she said, are you ready to go do this? And I said, yeah, I'm just really nervous. And she said, don't be nervous. All we have to do is go out and win this fucker. I, I love it. about died. I was like, Betty White just said the F word to me. She just said, <laughs> little Betty, I mean, sweet Betty White just said the F. I, I cannot believe it. But she knew exactly what she was doing because it put me at such ease. It calmed me down. And it just kind of like, it, it, she just was like a person at that point. She was no longer Betty White. She was just like, let's go win this. And I, she uh, could not have been better. Everything I would have wanted in that was was how it happened. She was just marvelous, marvelous. That's an amazing story. And you went on to win 25000 uh, You had fifty mm-hmm. at one time. But <laughs> yeah, talk about, yeah. they usually don't pay you off till after the show airs, and that could be a month or so down the line. Did you have it spent by the time it came? What were you a planning month? to do with it? I wish it was a month. It's more like six months to a year. They film those things way far out. Um, yeah, sadly, you know, $25,000 isn't that much. It, it goes very, very quickly. And they send you one check, one full-on check after it airs. Um, yeah, I think I paid, you know, a couple months rent and then bills. And then, you know, it was back to having a negative bank account before you could say password. <laughs> so, But, you know, I, yeah, I did have 50, and I could have chosen to walk away with it. But when you're playing with Betty White, you just got to go for it. And also, um, I had, I think, I, I won $24,999 more dollars than I had in my bank account that day. So <laughs> the way oh I looked God. at it was <laughs> even if I won $10, I got to spend a day with Betty White. Like, that's the prize right there. That's, that's, that's the prize. That's an amazing story. I love every second of that. All right, well, I want to move on because, like I said, you've done so many other things that I want to talk about. But let's get into the interview show a bit. I love the pink couch. I know you have a story about it on your webpage, but tell my listeners about the pink couch. Well, the pink couch comes from apartment2b.com. You know, they're like my family over there, uh, apartment2b. Um, I've worked for them, and I know the owners very well. And they, I told them, I, you know, I'm going to start this little chat show. I don't know what it's going to be called or where I'm going to do it or what I'm going to do. But um, I think I'm just going to start in my apartment and invite people over to sit on my sofa and chat, see where it goes. And they're like, oh, well, we'll send you a sofa. And I said, are you serious? I said, yeah, we'll send it to you. You know, just give us a shout out. It wasn't like a sponsored trade off or anything. You know, they didn't right, pay right. me at all. It was just my friends helping me out. And I'll never forget it. They they texted and said, all right, they're 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 dropping the couch off today at one and I look out the window and I see this bright pink sofa coming up the steps and I thought no no my first thought was no come oh my god no and then then when it came in the apartment I was like you know what this might pop on YouTube I think this will pop this is this is actually not a bad idea but at first I was like I can't sit on a pink sofa like that's what (laughs) and now I love it love it love it it is iconic well, where did the idea come now to start doing this? What what was the brainchild for doing interviews? Um, so my best friend, actually, at the time, I mean, he's still my very, very dear friend. Um, his name is Lucian. 
And he and I were at Swingers one night, diner here in L.A. And, you know, he and I, he uh, worked on RuPaul's Drag Race. He did all the music for RuPaul. And we were talking, and and he's like, you are just something else when we go to these parties. These celebrities just hang on to your every word. You manage to, like, get stories out of them. Like it, it, I wish people could see what I see when we go to like all these fun parties. And I said, yeah, I know. I, I, I don't want to, you know, like, I don't, it would never want to be on a reality show where like cameras follow you around or anything like that. But I said, yeah, how, how can I do that? Like, how can I, how, you know, cause you know, Lucian would be privy to, we would hang out with RuPaul because they were working together. So I had a lot of lunches sure. with Rue. We'd go to dinner. We'd have breakfast. And he's like, you and Rue are hilarious. Like, oh, I wish people could see how you and Rue talk to each other. You know, and I said, yeah, maybe I'll start a chat show. And I'm not joking you. He said, tomorrow, I will take you to Best Buy. I will put cameras on my credit card. You can pay me back. Let's see if Rue will come over, sit on the couch, and just talk. And I was like, oh, that'll never happen. He's like, "Try. you don't know. Try it. No, that'll never happen. And I have to give my friend all the credit because he did. He drove me to Best Buy the next day. We bought three cameras and, you know, the couch was being delivered. Just It kind of just all came together. And I said, all right, let's just give it a whirl. And I reached out to um, – the first person I reached out to was actually um, a YouTuber. His name is Tyler Oakley. And I thought that'll be a good first interview because he's actually a YouTuber. I can, like, you know, ask him for hints and tips and all that kind of stuff. So he was right. my actually my first interview. One day, RuPaul picked Lucian and I up. We uh, were going out that day, and I said to Ru, I was like, hey, I think I want to start this show. Would you be my second guest? And he was like, what day, what time, when and where? And I was like, are you kidding? He's like, yeah, let me know. And he came over and did it. And I used Tyler and RuPaul's episodes to lure the rest of my guests in. Cause I thought, you know, if they see those two were on, they'll know that right. I'm not a crazy person who's trying to get you over to his apartment to hack you up in pieces. You know what I mean? Like you need one kind <laughs> of like recognizable face to let other people know like, sure. well, at least he's, at least he's not a serial killer. So that's kind of how it all started. <laughs> I love it. Well, I've told you, I think, your interviews are amazing because I love your style. They are very much a conversation, which is what I like. Uh, it's very much you have interest in your guests, and it shows they clearly are at ease with you. Talk about how it felt doing those first couple of shows for you. Um, you know, it was kind of like the same blind naivete that I used to move to L.A. Anybody? I had no plan. I just kind of did it. And that is honestly my approach to every single interview, including the ones I'm doing now versus the ones, you know, five, six years ago, like the Rue and Tyler ones. I do not put together a list of questions. If I do that, I'll get in my head and then I'll think, okay, there's eight questions I want to ask. Oh God, I'm only on three. What were the other five? What were the other five? And then I think I just spent (laughs) 10 minutes thinking about a question I wanted to ask instead of being present. So my whole thing is, I mean, of course I do bullet points. I'm not like, Oh, Rue's coming tomorrow. Oh, okay. You know, you know, I mean, I have, I have guidelines and like, you know, things I want to touch on, but I just, 
I kind of have to wing it. Otherwise, it doesn't come across as a conversation. It comes across as something planned. And I, here's my, my favorite thing about my show, if I, if, I may, um, if I may pat myself on the back and diss myself at the same time, I'm not a journalist. <laughs> so that can work against me, but I also think it works for me because I think listeners, and you probably know this too, listeners and viewers are so much smarter than people give them credit for. And they see through Agreed, BS. Yeah. They, see, they see through it. And anyone who watches my show, first of all, my interviews are long. I don't have these short, snappy little two-minute YouTube videos that cater to everyone's short attention spans these days. My interviews are like half hour to 45 minutes. So right off the bat, if you're going to watch my show, you have some sort of like cerebral interest <laughs> in human conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so like I cater to like, you're, you're already, if you're watching my show and listening, you're a smart person. So I know that you're going to see through the, the BS of someone here to promote a book or a new TV show or whatever. It's my favorite thing to just sit down and have a conversation. It's the only way it works for me. It it, it really is. If I get too journalist, uh, if I get too journalistic about it, then it just, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't work. Right. Well, you do it so well. And like I said, I love every second of it. You've had some amazing interviews on there. Who would you say has been your hardest interview so far that you went in thinking you were going to nail it and it just didn't go the way you thought? Tatum O'Neill. Tatum O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Um, bless her heart. She, it wasn't her fault at all. I, it, it, it was very interesting. I had her on. I had never met her before. And she was very sweet and very gracious to even come do the show. And she came over, and I was worried sick because, you know, I wanted to wear a Farrah Fawcett T-shirt, and Farrah Fawcett was her stepmom, and there's a lot oh, of yeah. uh, there's just a lot of um, drama between her dad and her. They have a very, very uh, tumultuous relationship, and I, I, I just there was so much to to talk about. There was just so much, and a lot of it because you know she. she her interviews are like Oprah and David Letterman and like Howard Stern. Like there aren't many interviews out there. Like she's got like some big, big, big interviews. And so I was like, why is she coming on? And she came over and I, I, I had a, um, I, my, my camera, my camera was on, um, automatic and not, I mean, I'm sorry. It was, it was on anyway, the zoom setting was off. And so her close up was blurry. It was blurry, and I was just devastated after she left. I only had, like, one wide shot. You know, you need a close-up to cut to when you're trimming somebody's long story. That's, that's you know, the only reason I edit that way, to, you know, time-wise, sure. to make it a little shorter. And so I was just devastated, and after she left, I told her, and she actually said, let me come over, and I'll do it again. And when she came wow. back it was almost like a different person. And I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't ever say anything bad about her at all, but when we did the interview again, like the first time she did it, she was very comfortable talking about the fact that Michael Jackson or that she was Michael Jackson's first girlfriend. And then the second time I broached that subject again, she said, Oh, I don't talk about him. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about him. And it just kind of froze me because I thought, well, wait a minute. We, we did a month ago though, you know, so just like really, (laughs) 
it was really interesting. It's like you really – it does matter, like, when you catch these people. Uh, you know, like, what day you catch them really does matter because she, she was real, like, closed off the second time. Um, so it's just a little interesting. And it, it was like, oh, wow, we we didn't have the same rapport we had the first time. And the irony is I I didn't use a single – minute of our second interview i only used the first one so if you watch that you will oh, never see a close-up of her yeah but anyway um it was it was yeah it was interesting but yeah i'm you know i'm at the stage of my career where i can't say anything bad about anyone because they're coming on my show um completely yeah. voluntarily so there's no feel of like oh, gotta go do this kid's show right now like they want to be here so and she was lovely, right. by the way. I don't want it to come across like I'm saying anything bad about oh, it no, yeah. at all. It was just, it was just like, oh wow, it timing is everything. You can't ask somebody to come back and recreate an interview that went so well the first time. Like you just can't do that. So I learned that. I learned that. Like whatever right. you get, you have to work with. There's no do-overs in this I, one. Not, not in interviewing. And I learned that the hard way. Exactly. I, in fact, I just did an interview last week with um, a guy named Tanner Zipchin, and he is like the face of movies in Canada. He does all the pre-movie. In Canada, I guess they do like a pre-show before movies, like 1,300 theaters there where he interviews stars in different movies, and he said the same thing. He says, I know, he says, I've done enough now that I know certain times a day that you don't want to do them with certain people, and it's yeah. very true. You can catch people on and off time. you got to really uh, Very true. It, so. Very true. Now, talk talk about your interview that you think could have gone on forever. You just looked at the clock and said, God, I can't believe it's been half hour, 45 minutes. Oh, how about this? can honestly tell you, I think I've had 29, 30, 31 people on my show. I can tell you 29 or 30 or 31 people, when it is over, have looked at me like, you are kidding. We have not. You said we were going to talk for an hour. I said, we did. What? No. We, we've talked for an hour. Yeah. Every single person thinks when it's done that we've only talked for about 20 minutes. So that makes me feel so good. I have not had one guest say, uh, can we wrap this up? Like, uh, you know, or they're looking at their watch. It, 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 it flies by for everyone. And to me, that is like a five-star Yelp review. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, there you go. My guests feel like they have just been on the couch for 20 minutes. I like golden. Um, but Mark Shaman, composer, lyricist, Mark Shaman, he, I could have talked to him forever. He just is one of those who loves um, the business. He loves Hollywood. He loves old Hollywood. And he has no problem. He's great to follow on like Facebook and Instagram because he'll, he'll, he just, I think yesterday or today even, he just posted a picture he's never posted before of him with, uh, Diane, Goldie, and Bet from First Wives Club. And, like, oh, wow. you know, he, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people don't, you know, they have a really weird, they have a weird vision of their own careers, a lot of people. Like, they either tend to be super modest or maybe not talk about anything. I love the people who aren't afraid to talk about their accomplishments, their career highlights. He's one of them. Um, Rose Abdu. She is somebody who you might not know by name. She was on Gilmore Girls, character actress, uh, the TV show Parenthood. She's been in a ton of stuff. 
she was one of my favorite guests. She's not one of the most high profile ones, but she's like talking to another fan. She did a movie with uh, George Clooney and she just, I mean, fangirled out talking to me about him. And I love that. I love someone who is professional and in the business, but who's also like a fan at heart. And she just gave me everything. I could have talked to her forever. And uh, do you know Jen Kirkman, comedian? I do. I know of her. I've never got to interview her, but I know people that know her, and I know yeah. of her. Yeah, she's hilarious. She's another one of my absolute favorites, and she and I could have just gone on and on and on and on talking. And you know, she's a comedian, which always helps because you know they want to be funny, and they, you know, they. She has a podcast too, so she like knows what it's like and I just love guests like that who just give 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 so I could have talked to her forever nice that's I I have to listen to that one next I've not listened to your interview with her yet and I and it was on my list to do and it was one o'clock last night by the time I finished going down my little rabbit hole (laughs) you're so sweet (laughs) great show now we've had a couple of guests we've both done and speaking of people that have just stories forever you talked to my really good friend, Stan Zimmerman. Isn't he fun? And the stories he has, amazing. I love Stan. I love him. I love him. Uh, he was or is, I don't know, right in the process of writing a book. So there were a bunch of things I wanted to pull from him. And he kept telling me, no, it's going to be in the book. It's going to be in the book. It's going to be in the book. So I need to have him back on when this damn book comes out. So I can finally pull some more from him, but he, oh, he was just lovely. He's, he's, I mean, and talk about somebody who is a brain behind two extremely pivotal things in my career, Golden Girls and Roseanne. I'm not my career, my life. I mean, Golden Girls and Roseanne, like, are you kidding me? Like what gay person does not love (laughs) their shows, you know? Exactly. No, he's and he's he's amazing. I had him on last week, and uh, he's he's been he's tied for like one of the most times on my show. I think he's been on like five or six times. No, probably more than that. Probably seven or eight because he's been on more than once a year. But he does. He has those amazing stories. He just he's shopping the book now. He's got the proposal out, so you will have to have him back on soon. He just has the best stories in the world. He does, and, then and he knows so have, many. Oh no! I was gonna say he he just he knows so many wonderful people and so many wonderful like female actresses that I just like love and adore. And when they pop up in his plays, his plays. If you live in L.A. and you can see one of his plays, oh my! I've probably been to five or six of them. I think it's he's just he's such a talent. He's such a brilliant writer. He has less degrees than Kevin Bacon. He knows everybody in the business. It's just amazing. <laughs> so true. So and true. I don't know about you. Um, I have a very hard time asking people for to interview people they know. Um, I'm getting a little better at it. Not that good. Um, but Stan is one of those people. He knows so many people. I'm afraid to ask him anything because I want to talk to everybody he knows. And I've never asked him for one referral. And I usually... I almost barely ask anybody. I just started doing it this because Del Shores is a good friend of mine. And he, mm-hmm. um, I asked him one time, said, I really hate to ask, because he's best friends with Leslie Jordan, right? And so uh-huh. and Leslie is so hot right now. And so I casually said, and I've never asked Del for anything. And so I, I wrote Del the other day, I texted him and I said, 
is it any way possible you might be able to mention my name to Leslie Jordan so he knows who I am? And he says, honestly, hon, he says, I've talked to We've been talking. I was blowing up, and he's making everything go through his publicist, which is fine. No, no big deal at all. I said, well, mm-hmm. I, I was embarrassed to ask. And he says, you know, don't be embarrassed to ask ever. He says, I wouldn't have got half the people in my movies unless I asked. So that's kind um, of a turning yeah, point true. a couple of weeks ago. So I'm starting to ask, but I still am real uncomfortable with it. How about you? Are you able to do that? Well, I'm going to tell you – here, here how, how's this for name drop? How's this? I'm going to tell you what RuPaul said to me once at the counter on Sunset getting a hamburger. <laughs> if you want a yes, you can't be afraid of a no. And that has Ooh. stuck with me for so long. If you want your guests to say yes, you can't be afraid of them saying no. So it kind of like turned me around a little bit because I'm like, yeah, you can't, you can't get a yes if you're afraid of a no. The worst thing that's going to happen if you ask somebody to come on your show or the worst thing that's going to happen, if you ask a friend to get a friend, they're going to say no. That's it. Your career is not going to be done. Your show is not going to get canceled. They're not going to take you off the air. The worst possible scenario is a simple no. And it's like, when you, when that gets through your head, the, the fear just goes away. And, you know, it's funny because I had two, you know, I, Carol Burnett is my, my dream guest. My, my other dream guest is Shelley Long. I don't know if you've noticed, but every single interview I have, there's a framed <laughs> photo of Shelley Long. Um, she's right. just one of my absolute favorite people. I think she was so wronged by Hollywood. I think her career was wronged by Hollywood. And I want to give her, like, the greatest interview ever. And I've had two guests. Stan Zimmerman and Jennifer Elise Cox, who have worked with Shelley, and I still haven't. Asked, I, I I did ask Jennifer, and Jennifer um, has helped. She has tried to help me. Let's put it that way. Um, I've gotten a couple. I, I haven't gotten a no from Shelley. It's just Jennifer doesn't didn't have the right email anymore, and she's just she's just very hard to get a hold of this uh, Shelley Long. And I, 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 she's just a dream guest. And I, you know, I, I, I like, I want to ask Stan, but I haven't, but yeah, I, I, anyway. All right. Well, I could talk to you about the show forever, but there's so much other stuff we need to go. So we're going to move on a little bit. I'm going to cut out half this interview because I can literally talk to you for hours, but let's go ahead and move on here a bit and talk about your own career goals. I mean, what do, what is your goal as far as continuing the show? Are you still doing your acting? Do you like what is what's on your radar? What's something that Justin Root really wants to do right now? Well, you know, when I moved out here in the late '90s, gung ho young actor, I did everything right. I got my headshots done. I got an agent. I even got a manager. All within the first four months of living out here and oh guess what problem it's the late 90s and there's not a gay character on tv ellen Mm -hmm. hasn't come out yet we don't talk about it my agent asked me without flat out asking about my sexuality she said do you think do scenes with ladies and girls and i was like what a weird question i didn't realize yeah, I didn't realize what she was getting at. And she wasn't – look, I mean, she had every right to ask that question. She really did. Uh, it's a business. 
and she was looking out for her business. But at the time, I, I just kind of didn't understand the question. And so I always think, you know, I moved out here. It just, the timing wasn't right. It, it There just wasn't anything for me. There weren't roles for people mm-hmm. like me. There weren't opportunities at all. I mean, I'm going out. I auditioned for Melrose Place, and one of my scenes was, like, hitting on a girl. And it's just like you have this, like, boy with a high voice and it's like it's just so obvious that I shouldn't be doing this but they can't Mm -hmm. say like you know it's just it was a different time we didn't talk about sexuality back then and nobody was out nobody was out so it just the acting thing didn't work out for me at the time it just it just didn't and it's only been in the last couple years that I personally feel confident enough to go back and start auditioning and you know hopefully tap into like these wonderful new parts and roles that are like available for all different walks of life now I mean the diversity and the opportunities have opened up so much in the last couple years especially with creating your own stuff and writing your own stuff so while I do still have acting aspirations Right now, I'm kind of focusing more on my interview show. I would love to acquire some sort of production with my show. I would love to take my interviews outside of the sofa. Um, I'm a really big fan of Los Angeles history and architecture and locations. I've been doing these new um, Instagram live. uh, We are going to go into that. I love that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm just, you know, uh, I'm, when I moved out here, I didn't have any friends. My friend was L.A. And what comforted <laughs> me was seeing locations of movie houses. Oh, that's the house from National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh, my God, how fun. Or I'm going to drive by Joan Crawford's house in Mommy Dearest. That was another one. You know, that's in Bel Air. The, the house from the movie 9 to 5 is also in Bel Air. Like, I would take these nighttime or daytime strolls and just drive through the city and just feel the connection with like anything I may have watched as a kid growing up, like, Oh, that's the house from this and that. And I just, I love the idea. I would love to like interview, like a weird example. Like I just walked by the house where they shot the movie pretty in pink. And I would love to like have an interview with Molly Ringwald, but then we take it off the sofa and we, we walk around the house where she filmed that movie. You know what I mean? Like I would love to, I have some ideas that I'd love to, try to try to merge a little bit more of an LA aesthetic with my interviews. So I'm kind of working on that right now. Um, I've never reached out to bigger guests than what I've had on. I'm going to try that. Like I said, I got my little letter to Carol Burnett ready to go. Um, I'm trying to kind of go the next level and get some, some bigger names. And I don't mean that from a standpoint of I want celebrities and I want famous people. Well, sure. They're the ones that mean. help with the the views, though, and oh. they help me build my audience so that I can do the lesser-known people, like the Stan Zimmermans and the Rose Abdus who don't have these big names but who are just so fascinating and so amazing. And it's such a shame that those interviews get such low numbers for me because people, they just don't know their names, but to me those are the most exciting. It's always like Oprah I was always more excited by the lesser known people Oprah would have on. And I actually didn't like when she had celebrities on. I didn't, 
I don't like seeing Oprah talk to Julia Roberts and John Travolta and Tom Cruise. Like it's, it's, it's just not real to me. I like when Oprah would have real people on. And so I always, yeah, I I like those people a little bit more. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love to interview Julia Roberts, but it, (laughs) Julia Roberts doesn't excite me as much as, like a Belinda Carlisle or RuPaul. They just, it's just, it's, it's just a different thing. It's hard to explain, but no, it so yeah, I do want to, I, I want to broaden my audience with some bigger names. That's kind of what my, what my goal for 2020 is. Well, you do it so well. I think that's going to happen. And that's a great segue into these series you've been doing in Hancock Park and Los Feliz, because I told you when I was trying to get you on the show that I have a fascination, the same thing. I have a huge fascination with, Celebrity and homes, for some reason. Those are my two things. I love the old celebrity, I guess, the mysterious around, not the people that are celebrity for celebrity's sake, but the ones that were like real. So I like Lucille Ball, like Carol Burnett, like those people that, that you yeah. speak of. And I love nice homes. I mean, I think that what you're doing, I want to talk about where the idea came to you, and we'll talk about the series some more. I think it's amazing. I remember the day, I don't know if you do, remember when that one guy got kind of, Insta famous or YouTube famous by just doing the driveways of celebrities or something. I mean, it's, it's no, really, the really? some guy actually um, did a series where all he did was stand outside the, or the driveways of celebrities. And this show was called something like celebrities driveways or something and got, Oh, how amazing. And you do this so well that I think it should be picked up again. And I think it's, I think you're onto a niche that I think could be a lot of traction. So tell me how this idea came to you and tell me um, how you do your research for it and talk to me about what you've been doing with this. Cause it's amazing. I love it. Well, honestly, you know, I've been doing the social distancing quarantine, stay at home. I think I'm on day 45 now. Um, you know, I only go places to get food and I take walks in the neighborhood and I've always been taking walks in the neighborhood. Like that's not a new thing for me, but I started just seeing everyone's constant political posts just on and on and on. And I just thought, you know what? I'm so sick of my own news feed. I'm sick of everyone else's. I'm out on a beautiful walk today. Why am I looking on my phone at political stuff on this gorgeous walk? Like, uh, and I just, I, 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 turned on the camera and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start show. I'm just going to show people pretty things today. So I started just walking in Los Feliz and I was like, look, here's a big house. And Oh, look, here's a pretty palm tree. Then I stumbled on a house that I actually know history of. It's the house where um, Blade Runner was shot. You know, it's a beautiful Frank Mm. Lloyd Wright home. Beautiful. It's like, look it up. It's the Ennis house. It's just one of the most historical houses in LA. And I was like, well, I'll just tell a little story about this. And I couldn't believe people started like, you know, replying right away. Like, wait, take another picture. Show me the, I want to see the front door of this house or can you show me the backyard at all? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to like start this all over and do like an actual tour. Why not? And it's so funny. Like the responses I'm getting from people, people who, you know, I know who follow me, but like maybe don't comment or, reply and they just as people seem to be fascinated by it and what's so funny to me I do like celebrity homes but here and you and I might disagree on this I don't really care about current celebrities or where they live like it's not my thing at all um like 
do go on a TMZ tour if you want to do that. I love the older history of it and the old Hollywood thing. Like I want to see where, you know, hundred percent. Betty Davis, Errol Flynn, you know, like where they lived versus here's an example. I'm going to post one tomorrow. I just did a new one. I filmed a bunch of stuff for um, Beachwood Canyon and mm. I was filming Charlie Chaplin's old house, beautiful, grand estate from the twenties. It's just, it's gorgeous. It's on Temple Hill drive in Beachwood Canyon. And I was filming it and like giving a little tour and the neighbor came out and she got real like giddy and gossipy and couldn't wait to tell me that Andy Samberg lives there now with his wife. And I have to tell you, I kind of was like, dis- I didn't want to know that because I was just like, <laughs> I was in this like, yeah, I was in this vibe of like the twenties and I was just like picturing Charlie Chaplin. And then I'm like, all of a sudden I'm like, wait, Andy Samberg, SNL, Brooklyn, nine one one. Like, you know what I mean? Like it just was a complete turnaround. And so I, Googled it because I was like, is this lady right? And I Googled it, and sure enough, Andy Samberg and his wife live in Charlie Chaplin's old house. But so there is part of it that's like kind of fascinating to like think that Andy Samberg lives where Charlie Chaplin lived. But it goes back to what I said in the beginning of this interview that people come and go in this town, you know, that house, like how someone like Charlie Chaplin all the way up to someone like Andy Samberg, you know, both, both comedic actors, but just two completely different worlds. So that kind of fascinates me, you know, like the, the, the then and now of Hollywood. Um, but this town, I, is, it, it's a character. I'm a hundred percent with you. I love exactly. I, I have a story. I think I've told once before on here, but um, I was, I'm the same way. I like the old and I like just kind of the history of it. I used to do me and my friends, used to go Christmas caroling in Beverly Hills every year. And uh, we would dress up to the nines, go try to find some places we wanted to go to, and then we would go out to a nice dinner afterwards. And we got to sing to Lucille Ball at Lucille Ball's house um, uh-huh. when she was still alive. And she opened up her little window Drive. above her door on Roxbury, right, on the corner there. Right next to the corner, um, she opened up a little window. It's right above the and let us sing Christmas carols to her. The most amazing night of my life, and we went back there a couple times. And actually, was our the candles drip wax all over her brick walkway, which we were really embarrassed about. But I went. I try to go back there every year. I'm in L.A. And the people were so sick of people knowing it was Lucy's house. They've changed the entire front of the house. It looks nothing. Like it used to look at, I thought that I was in the wrong place every time. I thought I was a block over first, or something. I could never find Lucy's house. First of all, that is a fabulous story. I, I love that. I love the whole caroling thing. Um, Jennifer Elise Cox on my interview told me that she goes caroling with um, Shelley Long. So you and Shelley Long have oh. something in common. I want you to know that you go caroling. It's on our interview. You, you can watch it. Second thing um, so in 1995, Lucy died in 1989, 95, I moved out here and my best friend, Mike and I, we went to her house and I'm not kidding you, Scott, true story. I had a giant VHS camcorder. Okay. This was the kind of camcorder you had to have on your, on your shoulder, you know, we right. took it and we went to the backyard and I noticed like a little area where I could step up and climb over the fence 
And I did. I trespassed. And I not only trespassed, but I broke and entered because uh, the side garage door was, I didn't break, but it was open, like the doorknob. And I just opened it and I went in and I filmed her entire house. And the carpet was still, it was my new hero. It had been abandoned for, it had been abandoned since then. I think, um, I think the kids still owned it, but was surreal. And there's an interview that Lucy did from her home with Barbara Walters that you could still find on YouTube. And that was just like fresh in my mind because I think I had watched it recently. And it just was the most surreal thing walking around her house, the same bookshelves that were in the interview were there. Um, you know, all of it was still there. It had been untouched. I mean, no furniture, but like everything was still there. And then I think a couple years after that, it was sold and turned into, I mean, now it looks like a Chipotle. It's just terrible. It's just awful. Exactly. So tacky. That's the best story ever, Justin. It's just gross. It's gross. No, you're right. That's the best story ever. I mean, you win hands down. (laughs) I love that. So, so cool. So do you plan Uh, So. I really think you should turn this into a series of some kind. I think you need to sell it to somewhere because it's the best idea ever. What are you now researching houses? Do you, how do you have this history? How do you know this history? Are you going through the Google machine and finding places or how are you deciding where to go? A little bit. Um, you know, I, a lot of it's my own history too, because I think it's important to bring what you know to it. And I have to do that a little bit. Um, do you remember E! True Hollywood Story or E! Mystery and Scandals? Yeah. Um, they, okay, so those shows used to run like in the 90s on the E! Network. And they used to have this series called Mystery and Scandals, little half-hour shows about, well, mysteries and scandals. And one that stood out in particular was um, Peg Entwistle. They did a whole half-hour episode on her she um to this day is the only on record person to commit suicide by jumping off the hollywood sign she was a down and out actress um i think she was only like 24 or 25 at the time and she lived in beachwood canyon and one night she left her little bungalow made her way to the end of the street climbed up the h of the hollywood sign and plummeted to her death you know and it just was one of those stories that just like stuck out. And so over the years, like whenever people come visit, you know, everyone wants to see the Hollywood sign. We always go to Beachwood Canyon and it's just like, sure. It's a morbid, dark thing to tell somebody like, Oh yeah. Do you know an actress committed suicide off the age, but it's a <laughs> truth to it. And it's actually part of the history of the sign because it was in 1932 sure. and the sign wasn't that old and it brought attention to it. Because the Hollywood sign, most people don't know, it was created as a um, real estate ploy. It was just a stunt to get people to buy houses and, uh, um, you know, a real estate developer teamed up with an ad agency. And they're like, why why don't you just build a big sign? And it used to say Hollywood land. (laughs) And so stuff like that, like, that's just something I know. I don't have to Google that. I know that she killed herself. It's just, like, very simple. But you know, I, I, I tend to kind of maybe if there's something I already know about, I'll go on Google and just kind of like get some specifics. Like, cause if you said to me, Hey, where's the pretty in pink house? I could tell you, well, it's in Hancock park, but I'm, you know, I'm not like a, I'm not like it's 
4433 June Street. You know, like I have to look that part <laughs> right, up. Right. But I could, I could, you know, I, I can drive you to it from memory. Because, um, again, you know, I lived out here before the Internet. So my best friend when I first moved out here was the Beverly Hills Library. No joke. I would go to the library all the time and just get every book I could about L.A., L.A. history. Um, you know, I read everything from, like, how Griffith Park came about. But what stuck to me is the pop culture. The Hollywood stuff, like I love that. The, yeah, so I, I know some LA history, but I know a lot of movie and TV history. Well, Justin Root, we're going to have to wrap this up because I've already kept you way past the time I promised that I knew I was going to talk to you forever for some reason, so I put an extra half hour on my recording. Um, let's go ahead and let everyone know where they can find you on social, where they can find your show and uh, share all that information with my listeners. Sure, yeah. And I'm, um, my YouTube show is The Justin Root Show. I thought I should name it after somebody, so why not myself? <laughs> um, Instagram is The Justin Root Show. Twitter, Justin W. Root, but I'm terrible on Twitter. I hate Twitter. I'm awful at it. I'm much more fun on Instagram and YouTube. Those are on Facebook, Justin Root, or The Justin Root Show. Um, can find me anywhere i'm very accessible very easy to get a hold of <laughs> well it's been absolute pleasure of mine to get to know you. you're going to have to have you back on many more times because i could talk for i have another page of notes i didn't even use so uh lots um, of fun stuff well i can't thank you enough you're my second podcast i'm not good at this i'm 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 more uh inclined to do the interviews not be the interview so i hope i didn't ramble too much and <laughs> Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. It was so much fun. I want to do it again. You are amazing. You're invited on every time. I appreciate you dealing with all of my talking. We, I probably talk way too much. Just, we no, know as interviewers, we're supposed to let the person interviewing speak, and I, and I didn't do that well with you. I apologize. But I oh, appreciate you, you being on. absolutely did. Thank you so much. All right. Well, stay on the line for me, Justin. Guys, be on the lookout. We're okay. going to have a special five questions with Justin as well. Thanks so much for doing the show again, my friend. Thank you. All right, I'll be back. We're going to play out a little song here, and I'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. That's a little snippet of our buddy Matt Stern with You're an Animal. 
Guys, we just have a little over a minute left here. I wanted to say thank you so much to my guests, Sam Light and Justin Root. Um, I really enjoyed talking to both of them. It was uh, two fantastic interviews. I hope you enjoyed them as much as I enjoyed talking to them. Tomorrow, it's going to be a Mystical Wednesday with two all-brand-new interviews. I'm going to be bringing first up live I'm going to be bringing Brandon Neefell up. You may have heard of him. He was on the television dating show Finding Prince Charming, the gay dating show. Lance Bass was the host. And he has since moved on to become what he's calling a rebel mystic, clairvoyant medium, licensed spiritual counselor, a healer, and author. So he'll be on first. Then my buddy Kyle Thomas will be on. He's an astrologer and writes for Cosmopolitan, and he'll be talking about my chart and what's happening in the stars in the coming years. Lots of fun stuff coming ahead this week. Thanks for listening to Left of Straight Show. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Left of Straight, L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R, and the number eight. And I will talk to you guys all tomorrow. Have a great evening, guys. Bye-bye.